When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Back and better than ever, Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. A happy new year, one and all. No one happier than us at ESPN. You go into a night like last night praying you get one classic. Instead, we got back-to-back unbelievable games with all the drama in the world. Let's do it. Here we go! Only one place to start. Can Bayless survive? Milro running straight ahead. He doesn't get it. He goes nowhere. He's tripped up. And the Michigan Wolverines have done it. I know my brothers had my back. And I told him, we tied this damn good overtime. We're going to win. And we came out top. I'll see you in Houston. See you in Houston, says Michael Penix Jr. And it is Michigan. He and they will see after the Wolverines and the Huskies survive. Absolute thrillers. Both games last night end on the final play. Now, I understand that that's a stupid thing to say because every game ends on the final play. But in both of these cases, meaningful, the outcome was not decided until the final play. An incredible night of football. And my buddies, Jeff Saturday and Dominique Foxworth, good enough to hang out with us after after all of this drama last night. So I want to start with this. The biggest advantage I have over all the other people who are sports fans on planet Earth, is that after games like these, I get to come in here and talk to people like you who actually understand and see things that people like me do not. So my first reaction, and Jeff, I'll start with you as an offensive player, and I think 99% of the reaction that I saw from people online last night was the last play that Alabama runs. How the hell do you call a (laughs) shotgun snap and the quarterback is just going to run directly in the center of the offensive line? Explain what actually yeah. happened. Well, let's be first. Let's be realistic. That was not what was expected of the play, right? So the the, the play is going to start when they're motioning the back out of the backfield. That that Milrow will get a chance to look, and if it's man coverage, he can throw it to the back out of the backfield, or it's going to be a QB power, which he's going to follow his guard and 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 get in the end zone by running it. And and they knew Michigan was going to blitz. Everybody knew Michigan was going to blitz because they blitzed all night. The problem was the snap starts low, like at his ankles. So Milrow's eyes dive down to the ground, and then he kind of panics. So one mistake compounds into another mistake, and instead of him following the guard, which, by the way, if you're gonna if teams are gonna blitz you, you run gap scheme, which is kind of what they did. QB power to get inside of the guy outside blitzer and then follow a blocker. Unfortunately, he never got a chance to look at the back, which would probably have been his number one uh, priority. I don't mind the play. Listen, it's a, it's a good play against a blitz. They unfortunately just didn't execute it. It's a bad play when it doesn't work. It's yeah. a really bad play when it looks ugly like that. that it doesn't yeah. turn out the way it was designed. It's nothing different than what the Eagles do with Jalen Hurts in those situations right. all the time. And we we celebrate them normally because we see him w- walk into the end zone in those situations. But the point is, in that situation, they got a zero blitz. You never really want to run directly into that because they have more players than you have, even with the – um. Even with the quarterback advantage, they have one guy for everyone. So you're going to have to break a tackle if you're a quarterback. But what you really want to do in that situation is we have the running back going out, 
You have a man-to-man situation with a backside linebacker chasing a running back. You want to be able to read that and throw it, but he can't read and throw it Besides. when the snap is low and the pressure is getting there. So I think what happened, and uh, Milrow caught that snap low, and immediately, I don't, I don't want to say panic because that has like a negative connotation, but he knew. The passing option is over. Right. Now I have to run. And Jeff's point is don't run right into yeah, the back of your lineman. Follow 77, I think, is the guard who pulls around. Normally when the Eagles do it, they do it with the center pulling. Kelsey pulls right there. They have the 77 pulling around. You yep. go right, follow, follow the guard, and you might have a chance. But there's still two people there. There's an outside the guy. Yeah, you trying to go, a, he's trying to go inside right. of the outside. You, you leave him on for you. But I, I'll say this on the throw. The reason, and I, say, I did say panic, this is not a blame Milrow yeah. because it's not Milrow's fault. The issue is the timing of the pass yeah. is because the backside linebacker that's chasing the running back is out leveraged. So you mm-hmm. throw the ball quickly to keep the leverage. The two receivers that are in man outside either run routes to run coverage away or they stand up and block them so he can get a free shot in the end zone. It's really a race to the pylon. But it is a timing throw. Right. So, like, from a quarterback's perspective, whether it was Peyton Manning or Aaron Rodgers, when you're snapping it, they, they would rather you be high and hot, which means a little more pace on it. Even if the ball's not a perfect snap, if it's up, they can recover and still throw. When they have to bend down, their eyes come down, they lose where the coverage is out leveraged. That's what I meant by panic. Uh-huh. Is that At that point, he's like, man, that play's dead. The, the pass is dead. I got, I got one option. Let's try to follow the run. But the design of the play and the play call – there is no perfect play call ever unless somebody blows an assignment. Alabama on a lot of those wide opens in the flat, it was because somebody blew a coverage or messed up in the back. Michigan didn't make any mistakes, and they, they took advantage. Jeff and Nick with me here on ESPN Radio. And, and look, these are two programs I like, the two coaches I really like. So it was kind of hard for me. I found myself rooting as the night went on. I found myself changing my allegiance yeah. as the game was going on. But – For whatever parts of the game I was rooting for Alabama, I will confess I am screaming at the television. We can't get the ball snapped here, gentlemen. I mean, this is the most (laughs) fundamental thing in the sport. And and delightfully, Jeff, I have you with us today. You're one of the greatest centers that ever lived. So you obviously made a living doing that for 15 years. How is it possible... That in the biggest game of the year, we can't get the ball snapped all night long. Yeah, way, way too many mistakes. Listen, this has been an issue all season for for Alabama and the snaps being errant and um, kind of the way – because every quarterback kind of wants the ball in a different way, whether it's a fast snap or kind of a, a lofter, a floater, what they call them, uh, irrespective of whichever way they, they like to do it. Uh, they, they had issues with it. I think the first one was, was the guard gave the center the wrong snap count, so Milrow wasn't even looking. And then as a center, you get really nervous. I mean, like whatever, all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I just had a bad snap. Not, then you back it up with another bad snap and it goes to third and 29 or whatever, fourth and 29. And then the, the problem with that is when you get to this final play, you got, you got, you know, eight, eight, 18 inches. You got to block a guy. As you snap it, you're trying to hurry the snap because you don't want to miss your block and have your guy come free and hit the guy in the backfield, which had happened two plays prior, not on him, but on somebody else. All of those things, that pressure moment, that's why the gun is so difficult. I tell people this all the time. It's great for skill positions. It is It is more difficult for offensive linemen when those guys go back and it got exploited yesterday. In those situations, I think I'm reminded that these are college kids and no matter yeah. whether they're Alabama or what, and you can, <clears throat> you can easily understand 
Everybody on Michigan is mugged up on the line of scrimmage. That's right. That center is thinking, all right, if they do this, I got to go there. If they do this, <laughs> yeah. I got to go there. Oh, snap the ball, also snap the ball. And then it's just like it feels panicky. He gets yeah. it back there, and he's trying to get his block. The pressure of the entire season is riding on his play. Like, it's understandable. For sure. Especially when you acknowledge that some of these guys are 19, 20, yeah, 21 man. years old. No, I, get I can't it. think of anything more but unreliable. But I watch games than, all the time. Yeah. They get the ball snapped to the yeah. quarterback. Like, bad teams get the ball snapped to yeah. the quarterback. Offensive linemen that are being dominated still snap the ball to the quarterback successfully this is a i think a particularly frustrating thing yeah. not to be able to do no doubt no uh, doubt i'm not saying that it's not frustrating yeah. i'm saying that i promise you that the percentage of bad snaps is higher in high leverage situations when you have entire michigan defense one of the best defense in the country mugged up in all the gaps like and, it makes yeah. sense and get, was- and give michigan credit like they did a good job they knew this was going to be an, an area that they could take advantage of they right. they talked about i think herb she even talked about it during the broadcast but they set a guy on the center all night. Right. They were cross-facing him. They were shooting the gap. They were doing those things to put pressure on the snap. Because, again, don't forget now, you're the only position on the field where you got three points of contact instead of four, right? Yeah. Two hands, two feet on the ground. you got one hand, two feet the majority of time. So it And, again, once the bad, first bad one happened, it got uglier and uglier. And Michigan never relented yeah. on, on bringing, bringing blitzes, bringing pressure, which, again, compounds any problem. And it was not just one guy. The Alabama offensive line started poor, and they, 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 they the only thing they did really well was run block. So why they didn't do more of that would be my only question of play calling. So we had that game last night, and it was epic. It wasn't a masterpiece. It, it was not a thing of beauty. It was decided as much by mistakes as it was sure. by successes. But that's the beauty of the sport. Heck yeah. Particularly, to your point, Nick, with, with college kids. And then we got to the late game last Ooh. night. Ooh, there was and, and one the way, man out there. There's a lot of kids in one man. <laughs> and his name is Michael Penix Jr. Oh. And for those of you who don't know his story and only, think, only know what he's done at Washington the last two years, that's a kid who started at Indiana. That is a kid who has had significant injury issues. We're talking about two torn up knees. Yes. And he came back from all of that to have what genuinely I think has to be called, considering the magnitude of the game, one of the best games any college quarterback has ever played. No doubt. 430 yards, 76% completion, and they needed every drop of it to win that game and keep their perfect season alive and advance to the national championship. Neek, I mean, what did you see from this quarterback last night? It wasn't just the numbers, although those are gaudy with two touchdowns. It was watching the way that he was throwing the ball. They were NFL-level throws, not just any NFL-level throws. They were high-level NFL throws. I was. It was reminiscent of Aaron Rodgers hitting the seam on that touchdown pass where he steps up and drills it in there in a tight window between three guys to his player. The deep balls are dropping in uh, almost every time. The the receiver wouldn't change stride. He didn't have to speed up. He didn't have to slow down. It was just masterful. And – to take into account how great he was in managing the pocket. Himbo pointed this out to me before the the show this morning is that he's only been sacked 10 times all year Their and still is. manages to have big plays in the course of the game. That's respect for the line, but I think as we all have come to appreciate, sacks is a quarterback. Ain't sack. no doubt. It's about making Holding decisions. It. That's right. And it's about being comfortable in the pocket and repositioning the blocks when you need that. And we saw that last night. Him stepping up in the pocket and drilling passes through the course of that game was – 
was masterful. Yeah, I, I think the thing that I saw from from Washington as a whole is the trust from the coaching staff to him, yeah. and there was the trust that everybody has in this kid. Like they don't, they believe in this kid one thousand percent, and and he feels it and goes out and executes to a level to 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 your point, Greeny, that that's unheard of, right? Like, and this is the part for me that's so frustrating because we get on the get up, we get on these shows and debate like who should be the first pick in the draft. I'm just telling you this: you look at all the games all season and then you look at how this kid has continued to play and he's not in the conversation of the top three it shocks me and look I'm not a scout I'm not I'm not I'm not pretending I am right like these guys go watch a whole lot more football but I'm just telling you right now the games I have seen this kid play that he's not in that conversation of the top you know whichever quarterback's going to go first or where they're going to go hey man you're full you know again dude dude look like really really good in big moments that that matters I'm with you and he isn't. So because I host the draft, I pay close attention to these things. Matt Miller, who is one of our NFL draft analysts and does an outstanding job yeah. in his first mock first round, he's got four quarterbacks going in the first seven picks. None of them are Michael Penix. He, in fact, does not have Michael Penix Jr. being drafted in the first round. So the mind-blowing thing is re- normally when a great college quarterback doesn't go high, it's because of the things that we saw Michael Penix doing well. It's because they don't do that well. Yeah. They aren't there in an offense that makes it simple for them. They don't have the arm strength or the accuracy. They seem uncomfortable in the pocket when the, those are things you ask for the NFL. Like you look at the highlights of guys who had really great college careers but didn't go high in the draft. It's a lot of them running. That's and right. And it's a, a lot of them throwing screen passes. It's a lot of them running simple schemes. He was out there running what looked to me like an NFL um, level offense against a very good or very talented, at least, uh, opponent and making those type of dr- like those pass. You can't you can't scheme up a bullet like he was throwing. Like, right. like you cannot scheme up those lasers. And when people talk about like I know Texas, they they knew this was going to be a place they could attack Texas. Mm-hmm. Right, their defensive backs have not been good this season. It still required fantastic ball placement and accuracy. That's the part that I yeah. think you can't take away. Is it's not just big plays. It's accurate throws at the moment. It's ball placement, which in the NFL separates good and great quarterbacks. It's not because sometimes receivers just catch it and they go make a great play. There's other times when you see receivers go, hey, I want it right here or I want it right here, which is a four or five inch difference that makes all the difference in the world for the play being successful or failing. Look, I, I, as in my role as the host, I've told Hembo this. Like, I, I cannot bring myself to criticize any of these players or picks while it's happening. A, it isn't my job right. to do. Yeah. But B, like, this is their moment. I want to see all of them succeed. Me too. So I sort of feel badly saying this. But in this mock draft, he has J.J. McCarthy, the quarterback of Michigan, who we just watched last night, going seventh. And he has Michael Penix not going in the first round. Who among us watched these games last night and said <laughs> the kid in the first game is better than the kid in the second game? Who said that? I mean, I, I think that it would be unfair to just use one game to right. evaluate either of these players, but I've seen a lot of games for both of them. And I don't get it. So, yeah. again, the, the management in the pocket, all the NFL things that um, sometimes are difficult for players to make in that leap, Michael Penix did him last night in the highest profile for game. Sure. So he'll get another chance, and I'd be surprised if what happened happened uh, last night it does not impact his draft stat. For right, sure. Fellas. Uh, well, yeah. let, me, let me say this, too. Yeah. The other issue for him is the knees, right? Yeah. So that, that would be the only – if, if that's the knock and they go, hey, from uh, that's why we have him where we – that will change, though, because, again, we know performance trumps any injury risk. This dude keeps throwing it. People will take a risk on the injury yeah. every day and all day. 
I want to make sure that I'm not giving you anything that's wrong. He had four different seasons end because of injury. Right. Two of them were knees. Yeah, he had two ACLs. I, I, right. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't getting that wrong. Um, and as usual, I wasn't. Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Presented by Progressive Insurance. Protect your home and auto. Save when you bundle. Get a quote at Progressive.com. You guys are the best. Thank you both for doing this. Hembo jumps in. The hashtag crew is back. It's a new year. and We've got a lot to say on ESPN Radio. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do big, small, and when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y. Greeny, the podcast. Back in town we are. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance and the hashtag crew is reunited. And it feels so good. Hembo is here. Bubba is here. Cam is here. We got a lot to get into this morning coming off an absolutely epic night. I was planning on spending a lot of today catching up on the things that I missed last week and and particularly over the weekend. There were a lot of significant things that have happened in sports, but... We're going to have to spend a lot of today on last night and the implications of it, and, and we'll work our way towards the rest of it as we go. That said, let me have 30 seconds here quickly for Granger. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Hashtag crew was assembled around me. Cam is here. Bubba is here. And Hembo is here on this second day of January, the first day of our year. Happy New Year, Hembo. Happy New. 
What does that mean? I mean who says happy new? I'm just reciprocating the, the thought. Here no, we go not. again. You just left out the word year? But it's implied, no? Well, perhaps, but a lot of things are implied. I mean, did you just say Merry Chris? I mean, what, no, that's, that's, that's an exaggeration. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Because you just left out a word. Yeah, I gave you at least half a word. I didn't use a word and a half. Merry Chris would be a word and a half. Okay. We literally can't do anything with this guy. I, I have a New Year's resolution. It's not to get bogged down with this nonsense language stuff from him. It's not nonsense language stuff. I just, You're shorthanding Happy New Year. It's three words. What's wrong with that? Everything. That Now it's taken two minutes to explain. It, it, what's wrong with it is that we have been... Ugh. A civilization for hundreds, thousands of years, and there's been a new year in every one of them, and no one has ever just said Happy New. No one ever has said Happy New. No, not once. That's like saying, can I have a vanilla ice, please, and leaving out the cream. You're just leaving out one of the most important parts. No, happy not. New what? You could get a new car, and you could be happy about it. Happy new car. Yes, I understand that it's Happy New Year because it's January 2nd. The usual discrepancy that comes at times like this is if you say it like on January 6th or 8th or 10th, and we can have a debate over when is it too late to say Happy New Year. But no one, no one will be on your side (laughs) that Happy New is an acceptable way it is not an acceptable shorthand in large part because this is not a phrase that requires a shortening. It doesn't require. No. In fact, in fact, it doesn't call for one. It doesn't, it's an inappropriate it's one. It's not hurt or obscured or diminished by it. It, it is all of those things. Um, and your lack of understanding of that candidly is, it just means your happy new is off to an extraordinarily embarrassing start. It, let's put it this way. Hembo's new is going to be just like his old. <laughs> Bubba and Cam. I'm going to ignore him now. For the, I'm going to do what my wife always does. My wife will turn to me and say, well, I'm not speaking to you now for the rest of the day. And that, is, it, that, could, that could come from practically anything. So I think I may not speak to Hembo now for the rest of the day. That said, I'm going to start today's show by saying something as God is my witness, I would have sworn I would never say. Literally never say. If you had said, Greeny, write me down a list of things that you are positive you will never have occasion to say on the television or the radio or anywhere else. High on the top of that list, I would have put Nick Saban got outcoached in a big football game last night, but that is exactly what happened. Let me make it clear how agonizing it is for me to say that. I love Saban. I love him. I admire the hell out of him. I like. I think he is actually about, in a sport where no one is about all the right things, he's about more of them than almost anybody else is. I love his crankiness. I love the curmudgeon. I love everything about him. And I think he's as good a coach as the, I've ever seen in any sport. You put together the shortest list of the best coaches in any American sport that I've followed in my lifetime, and he is right near or at the top of that list. So for him to have a game of the magnitude of last night and his team to look as awful as they did shocks me. And I take zero pleasure in saying that. They should have lost that game by 50. They did everything you could do to lose a game and somehow had the lead late. Now, maybe that in and of itself is a testament to Sabian's coaching, but I actually don't think it is. 
I think they had the lead despite themselves. I think they had the lead because Michigan made even more ridiculous mistakes. But candidly, that's exactly what I expect from them. It is not what I expect from Saban and Alabama. Hembo. Yeah, I think that you have that right. Um, Alabama did not lose that game yesterday, yesterday, or in the first half of yesterday. Alabama lost that game in the month of December. It's not as if they had one week to prepare for this game like every other game. They had a month, and it's very hard for me to believe that in that month, they decided that the best way to game plan for that Michigan defense was to drop Jalen Milrow back to pass Mm -hmm. to such an extent that he was sacked five times in the first half. That is the reason that they lost that game in my judgment, although I do think that this was probably in totality, one of Nick Saban's best coaching jobs to even get them to that point. And there was a point in yesterday's game where if Michigan had not converted a fourth down, Alabama would still be playing today. By the way, that call is not getting enough attention. We did two hours this morning, and I could not get people with me on this. Let me try and and bring Bubba and Cam into this. Three and a half minutes, roughly 319 or something like that, left on the clock. Ball on your own, 33 Fourth and two, you have all three of your timeouts left in a seven-point game. And Harbaugh goes for it. And everyone on my set this morning on Get Up acted like that was the obvious and easy decision. I don't think it was. You don't pick up that fourth and two. The game is over. The game might as well literally end right then. That kid on Alabama is kicking that field goal on first down if you want him (laughs) to. All they need to do is take three knees and kick the field goal, and the game is over. You have a 10-point lead. Michigan will have no timeouts left. There'll be something like two minutes left. The game is over if you don't pick up that fourth down. If you punt to an offense that has done nothing against you all day long and you use your timeout to get one more shot, I was not at all convinced that was the right thing to do. In fact, if I'm Alabama, I think I'm kind of rooting for them to go for it because you can end the game right there with your defense on the field. Do we have something like the percentages on that? Like, do we know what the odds, uh, the analytics say they should do? Here's what I can tell you. At that exact juncture in the game, Alabama had an 85% chance to win. And uh, ESPN Analytics said that it was an obvious go for it. Anything fourth and 10 or less. ESPN Analytics says Michigan maximized the chances of winning by going for it on that play. So it was the analytics play, but it was also a courageous play when well, you see consider that, the way that I, we I'm do just, I, Someone needs to explain that to me because you're on your own side of the... Not mm-hmm. only are you on your own side of the 50, the game is literally... The, the way the other kicker is kicking... This game is over if, if you don't pick it up that one play. You've made the entire game this one play. Now, I get fourth and two. You have a much better than 50-50 chance of making it. Mm-hmm. But you're now discounting all the other chances you have of still winning if you kick it away and call your timeouts. So, I, Bubba, what do you think? I'm, I'm with you. I don't think it was that obvious by any means. And especially, I think the, the biggest point is what you're saying. It's, it's, not, it's not as though it's going to be, you know, a given that Alabama is just going to go down and score. Alabama's offense was not great. So there was a good chance that they could come back and stop them with their three timeouts and get the ball back. So yeah, I, I think I, I, I like the, the bold strategy and I appreciate that. And I'm sure his players did, but I don't think it was a given by any means. Oh, it's obvious. And Linux say, go for it. I, I was somewhat surprised too. Cam. 
Uh, I think it was the right call. It was a risky call. But the one thing that Alabama had been doing, especially in the second half, was running it. So I think they were concerned that they weren't going to get the ball back. They punted away, run it to Jason McClellan, a few first downs. The game's over anyway. They put the ball in their best player's hands. They throw an out route to Blake Corum. He gets 30 yards. So they trusted the two guys that had been making plays despite all the mistakes all day rather than trying to give it to Alabama and giving them a chance to put it away if they didn't go for that shot, even though it could have gone the other way. Yeah, I'll tell you why it makes sense is because – Unlike Alabama, on the last play of the game, Michigan had a play. Yeah. Michigan had a play all game, it seemed like, when you needed one. That, that was the big difference, it seemed to me, in the coaching. It was in like those, those high-leverage moments. That was an easy conversion for them. They knew exactly where they were going to go, and they executed it. What they didn't do was run their quarterback into the butt of their center and end their season. Well, that's it. And that's why I opened the show the way I did today, because people were like, wait a minute, you called the butt fumble on, on the left? That's almost what the play call looked like. <laughs> like, like. Get Mark Sanchez in here and have him run into Brandon Moore's behind. Uh, so we understand now, if you were with us at the beginning of the show, we had Jeff and Dominique explain what was supposed to happen on that play. But it does not, it does not remove the fact that it just looks as awful as it does. And so, again, I'm not saying Harbaugh did the wrong thing. What I'm saying is I don't think it is nearly as foregone a conclusion, as easy a decision as it was being made to see. Yeah, the numbers usually say going for it gives you a better chance to win. I will admit that in watching the game, it did not feel obvious to me in watching no the game. No way. It still felt like there was a lot of time left. Like, and maybe, look, 319 is 319. In some games, 319 feels like a long time, and in others, it feels like a short time. Maybe just my own feeling, college football, these endings take forever. Yeah. There are so many stoppages. So many things are going to happen. It did not feel to me like you needed to score on this drive or the game was over. Now, obviously, Harbaugh saw it differently. He's a great coach, and I'm not. He got it right, and I'm not here to say it was wrong either way, but I just didn't think it was an easy decision. You can be a part of Greeny Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. It's not college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one that fans deserve. Let me then get you to why I believe they were outcoached. You talked about the month that they had to prepare for this game. After the first one, certainly the second one, God help us, the third one, How did no one on the Alabama side say, we can't drop our quarterback back and have him stand there until he thinks someone is open enough to throw it to and think it's going to work? You could see it wasn't going to work under any circumstances, and you could feel that Jalen Milrow had been coached not to tuck it and run. He could have tucked it and run so many times. When I was saying Orlovsky, where was the quarterback run? He's talking about, well, if they run quarterback power. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about calling a designed run. I'm talking about the quarterback's legs, which Tony Romo mentions on every telecast 107 times. That was the most effective offensive weapon Alabama had all night. And comparatively speaking, I thought they barely utilized it. They couldn't get them blocked if their lives depended on it. And so whatever they were scheming up didn't work. And they did not adjust until it felt like forever later. It's a miracle they weren't out of the game by the time they made that adjustment. And I will still say they did not let the kit. Milrow should have run at least 10 more times with the ball than he did. Yeah, Jalen Milrow running is Alabama's best play, or it certainly was yesterday. So Alabama, I think the best way to describe what they do offensively is it's a boomer bust offense. It was the most aggressive downfield passing attack in all of, in all of college football this season. But obviously, in order for those long-developing plays to develop, you need to give your quarterback three seconds. 
and rarely were they able to do that. They created one explosive pass play in a game, and they took 11 negative plays in the game. If you're looking to distill how this happened as simply as one can, those are the two numbers that you need to know. So, a couple of other interesting thoughts that come out of this, and we got all morning long to do this. But I'm just looking at some of the stats that Cam put in the notes. So with Alabama losing, what we will get on Monday night is the first national championship game since the first one in the new format in 2014 that does not feature the SEC. I will add to that that Michigan will play Washington, which is a team that is joining the Big Ten next year. So it is sort of an all-Big Ten national title game when it could have been Alabama playing Texas, who was joining the SEC next year, and an all for all intents and purposes, an all-SEC championship game. So in those ways, it's a huge win for the Big Ten, but I'll say more. For the last several years, what I think we've all become conditioned to think is the big powerhouse from the SEC is going to play the big powerhouse from the Big Ten. And what we're going to find out the minute they set foot on that field is that there is no comparison. The level of athletes that the SEC schools have is just different, superior to, better than, other than, or whatever other phrase you want to use, better than what they have in the Big Ten. And as a Big Ten alum, that's never sat well with me, but I couldn't fight it because it always seemed so true. What Georgia did to Michigan two years ago was humiliating. I mean, they... What was the score of that game? It was a non-competitive game. It was I'll pull up the thirty-four to eleven. It was what? Thirty-four to eleven. But wasn't it like thirty-four to nothing at one point or yeah, something? Yeah, I don't think it was even that close. Thirty-four to eleven does not do justice how one-sided that game was. But so here's what I'm saying: <clears throat> regardless of the winning and the losing and the rest of it, like that was not the case last night. You did not watch that game and think Alabama's got the athletes on this field, right? Michigan looked bigger. They look stronger. They look just as fast. We always associate the SEC with having so much more speed than the Big Ten. It certainly didn't look that way last night. Now, I know this isn't one of Saban's great teams. He's had many teams that have had more pros, but half this team is going to wind up in the NFL. So I thought that was a big win for the Big Ten as well, just the mere fact that they did not look at all overmatched. Michigan did to Alabama yesterday what Alabama has done to the rest of college football for the last decade and a half. I've never seen anything like it. Like, you can, I guess, you can still win college football games in the trenches because, generally speaking, we've moved away from that. Aerial attack has taken over in college football. But that was not a game yesterday that was won in that manner. I thought Michigan's lines on both sides cleaned up. And I'm not sure that's all coaching. It's maybe some coaching. Maybe it's uh, – we can, we can you know, adjudicate that another day. I thought Michigan's people were just as good as Alabama's yesterday. That's exactly what I was saying. I, and, and, and I think that in and of itself is telling. Right, you can be the best fan of the month. It's brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It's not college football season. Without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one that fans deserve, and obviously the Michigan fans, you want to talk about riding high. And <laughs> in my life and in my social set, I know half the people I know went to Michigan. It's excruciating. And they let you know. Oh, boy, do they let you know. The maize and blue is all over my timeline. Those who stay, hail to the victors, go blue. Believe me, we're hearing it. And we're all going to have to hear it for a week, but good for them. After the frustrations of the last few years, on they go to a championship round. All right, 
Hembo, the first of the year sneaky Hembo trivia. And by the way, um, Michael Penix is a stud, and that raises oh, this question. So good. Who is the winningest? Who is the winningest left-handed quarterback in the history of the NFL? Winningest left-handed quarterback NFL history. Love the question. Answer next on ESPN Radio. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Greeny, the podcast. Be new from all of us here at ESPN Radio. We're live from the Seaport District at Pier 17. We're brought to you by Chase. You want to stay a part of the conversation? I'm always having one on Twitter, at ESPN Greeny. On Instagram, at ESPN Greeny. Something remarkable happened on my social media while I was away on my vacation. If you follow either of those accounts, you already know what it is. If you don't, then jump on at ESPN Greeny on both Twitter and Instagram, and I will explain what it was a little later. I was expecting to do it today. I won't have time because last night was so epic. Wow, okay, and how are your trivia skills? This is Sneaky Himbo Trivia. Regular sneaky or extra sneaky? In the meantime, Bubba, here's what we've decided to do. You are the producer of this show, so the final word goes to you. Right. We've decided that we are going to end the Hembo trivia year and start the count over again and declare a champion for year one of the Hembo radio trivia, right? I think that makes sense, just like you guys do with Graziano and Hembo. There's a winner every year, and by winner, I mean Graziano. <laughs> so I think we do the same thing. So let's get the final standings from Cam. What do we got? Who won? Uh, what were the official final standings? All right, so we had Mark Cuban and Dominique Foxworth, both 0-1 on the year. Jay Will jumped in late. He was 1-2. Brandon, 5-18. Greeny, 11-37. Bubba, 14-33. And I had the best record of the year at 17-30. and So we'll start it over now. So Cam is the champion. All right. Cam wins year one. Go me. Of the Sneaky Hembo Trivia, and we will start the count over again, and we'll keep it for uh, this now, I guess, year number two. Hembo, what is the first question of this year? Uh, Who is the winningest left-handed quarterback in the history of the NFL? So I've got five names written down. 
Two of them, I think, aren't sneaky enough. Like, I feel like Hembo, he wants to be sneaky. Bubba it is in Ke- the name. Yeah, that's what I mean. So, like, Steve Young and Ken Stabler feel too easy. They're both in the Hall of Fame. And I, I think it would just be too obvious if it were one of those two guys. That Those don't seem sneaky enough. So the other names I have written down are Michael Vick, Mark Brunel, and uh, Boomer Esiason. Yep. <clears throat> and Boomer won an MVP. But overall, I don't think he won as many games. Vic won a lot of games, but of course had that stint where he was, you know, in, out he was incarcerated, and and then and then didn't always start when he came back. So because I think it's sneaky, and because I think he played forever, my guess, guys, is going to be Mark Brunel. Bubba, That's how about you? Good guess. Yeah, I did think of all Brunel if you're going the sneaky route, uh, but I'm just going to play it safe and go the non-sneaky route, and I'm going Ken Stabler. All right, the snake. Cam? I'm going another non-sneaky route with Steve Young. I just feel like he played too long and was on too many good teams. Uh, We'll see, though. I'm a little apprehensive about this, but Steve Young. So this is total wins. Left-handed quarterback. We have Von. We have. We have. Do we have a one from Brandon? Brunel, stable. No, Brandon's not here today. Oh, that's cute. Brandon's not here. Our, our beloved Jenny is in stage managing. Brandon is off today, so it's a, candidly a break for all of us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we got a guess for Brunel. We got a guess for Stabler. We got a guess for Young. Hembo. The correct answer is Ken Stabler. Oh, bubble on the board. Playing it safe. Uh, Ken Stabler won 96 games. Steve Young won 94 games. Ah. Boomer Esiason, 80. And Mark Brunel, fourth at 78. Fourth? Wow. <laughs> wasn't even that close. You were 18 uh, wins away. Play it safe. that close. You know, you should just think about what the right answer might be rather than trying to circumvent. You always say that. It's so easy to do when you have the answer in front of you. I'm not wow. saying, Cam, that the answer is easy. I'm saying that you should just think of the right one. Not, yeah. what, not that would be easy. What I don't want you to guess. Yeah, that's probably fair. Do you want to hear the uh, standings for this year? Uh, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, Bubba's zero and one and zero. Messed that one up already. And you and I, Greeny, are zero and one. So I, I'm picking up right where I left off. Yeah, it's a happy new to happy me. Happy new. <laughs> Did you know there's only been like. Upwards of 30 left-handed quarterbacks ever in the NFL. Yeah, I actually had a conversation with Steve Young about that one time. So Steve and Golick and I did uh, one NFL game. We did a Monday night game together in San Francisco, uh, or in Oakland, actually. And so I spent a lot of that weekend with him and talking and through stuff. And I, I asked him about that, and he said that the primary reason, in his opinion, is laziness on the part of coaches. Hmm which is that in order for them to design an offense that works with a left-handed quarterback, they basically have to reverse everything. You have to flip everything that you've already, you otherwise do. Weak side, strong side, who your best tackle is, you know, all the formations, and that coaches don't want to do it. And that's why so many left-handed kids don't get a chance to play quarterback. I'm not talking about on the pro level. A, left, a talented left-handed kid in college is going to get to play, but you don't get to be a quarterback in peewee and then high school and all that stuff because the coaches don't want, literally because they don't feel like doing the work that would be involved. I don't know why, but I think, I think the football looks better thrown left-handed. Like, when, like watching, just watching highlights of Michael Penix, just zing it all over the field, it just looks cooler. Like a lefty throwing a football just looks cooler, and it just looks better. Is it, because, is, is it in the same way that a left-handed baseball swing just looks better? I think a baseball bat is intended to be swung left-handed. Right. And golfers, I mean, there's Mickelson's swing was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. There haven't been that many 
lefties. Bubba. Uh, yeah, Bubba, Bubba Watson and... Um, Mike Weir. Right. Well, look at you, just rattling them off over there. But th- there have not been that many. Um, but I, th- that's another one that looks really good when you see it. What did you want to say, Cameron? Uh, well, one thing is I think we're just not used to seeing lefty quarterbacks, so it does look cooler. But I've also read interviews... I think with Jerry Rice, where he said he had to like get used to the ball spinning the other mm, way as right. well with the spiral when he went from Joe Montana to Steve Young, so that could factor in as well. I think that's a good, that's a that's a well made point. Like football people are such creatures of habit, and something as fundamentally different, while it might seem simple to you and me, well, he's just going to throw it with the other hand. I guess it does change a lot of things. Would it surprise you at all if Penix just shoved again against Michigan? I think he could do it. I, I, thought could, you, I thought you were going to ask me if Penix started throwing it with his right hand. <laughs> would it shock would you? It surprise you at all? As God is my witness, I thought that's what you were about to ask me. If that would sudden, surprise you. He went out there. Which was the Rocky movie where he switched? Remember when Rocky, he's a southpaw, and then he switched? His big trick was that he was going to switch to fighting right-handed. Was that Rocky two? I think and, it was two. I think it was two. It says, no tricks, I ain't switching. And, and, and then, of course, he does, and he wins. I think they can move the ball against Michigan. They have a much better chance. That's than a good Alabama. job by you on hanging into the point you were making while I just took it to that ridiculous. Yeah, it's Rocky too. You're going to pick Washington to beat Michigan? I think they're really sneaky at least because four and a half is the number. Four and a half is the number. Michigan's defensive line was the reason I think it won that game. At least like the the single biggest reason. Washington's offensive line won the Joe Moore Award, and Michael Penix took ten sacks in fourteen games. Didn't what is take the one Jim yesterday. Moore Award? The Joe Moore Award is the nation's. Top offensive line. I know. Oh. I was just saying it because you said it so fast. It sounded like you said Jim Mora, and I wanted you to explain what it award. was. You can't just assume everyone in our audience knows what the Jim Moore Award is. Well, just like you shouldn't assume that no one in our audience knows that Happy New means Happy New Year. No one. It's Only obvious. on January 2nd does a person know that. If you walked up to anyone at any other time of year and said that, now I'll grant you it would be an unusual thing to it say. It would. But, but let me ask you a question. Would you ever say Happy Birth? I would not. No. That's, that's too far afield. No one would. A far afield. But, but birthday is one word. Now, New Year are two. Yeah, that's true. I'm trying to think of another. What's another? You're trying to poke holes in something that's unpokeholable. I don't even think that's the way that word should go. Um, but Un... it's, a, it's, it's not. You, it's, unpokeable? It's an unpokeable Un-hole hole. That hole is unpokeable. That, that hole. <laughs> See, this is what happened. I pr- so I have all these. Leave it I, to Cam. I don't like to call them resolutions. I like to call them goals. And one of the things I, I talked about, you know, with my family over the weekend in uh, in Anguilla, was that one of my goals was to try and keep this show a little more focused, like a little <laughs> more on the rails, not get so easily distracted. But the problem is, I am an easily distracted person, and. You say the dumbest things, not dumb. You say the strangest things that I can't let it go. That's like you. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah. Happy Father's Day. Yeah. Yeah. Happy Mother. It's like you deleting your gym membership on January 2nd. Right. You're going to say Happy Fathers? Happy Fathers. Enjoy that. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Or watch the show through the Watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up, weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN. And also available wherever you get your podcasts.